guys. This is Olivia. Olivia is from our youth. Can we give it up for Olivia? And she, she's going to read from the Word of God. So this is important. If you've got a Bible, open it. Actually, hold it. Hold it. Now, this isn't my thing. It's an American dude called Joel Osteen. But you've got your Bible in your hand. Everyone repeat after me. This is my Bible. Oh, my goodness. Like one girl at the back. just, this is my Bible. No, everyone. This is my Bible. I am who it says I am. And I can be who it says I can be. Good, good. Olivia is going to read from Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. Hi. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, the parables of the bag of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. A man who received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Mm. And through that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Olivia. That's brilliant. You take the mic. Wasn't she a great reader? Give it up for her one more time. So, um... It's great to be here. Guys, DTI is awesome, eh? Yeah, it's so, I love coming here. I love being part of DTI. It's an amazing opportunity to be able to speak to you tonight. I want to start by telling you just a, a tiny little story from my life. Um, for eight years, I was employed in a little town called New Milton in Hampshire. Anyone live in Hampshire? Brilliant. Um, and uh, I was, from the church's point of view, I was employed as like an evangelist. That's someone who like tells people about Jesus and makes them think about wanting to follow him or maybe want to follow him. And, um, but from the like council, local council's point of view, I was actually, they saw me as just a youth worker that was going to sort the naughty kids out. And um, so, so basically I was employed to go and hang around down a park um, and, and get, get conversations started with young people, play football, 
basketball, all sorts of things. And I love that job because God gave me an opportunity to probably over about eight, year, eight to ten years that I was there, probably meet thousands of young people down this park. Young people used to uh, smoke their first drug or, or get drunk for the first time at this park or maybe say their first swear word or maybe even lose their virginity in this park. This was the kind of park it was. I'm serious. Sounds extreme, but this is true. And um, I remember talking to uh, young people, and whenever they'd find out that I was a Christian, they'd always say this, oh, oh, you're a Christian. That means you can't have sex, right? I'm like, well, hang on a sec. I can have sex. Goodness me. But like, that means you, you've got to wait till you get married. And I said, well, well it's, it doesn't work like that. You see, I think you've misunderstood the point. I mean, I can do what I want. But what I realize is God has given me an option with my life. You see, my purity and, and me staying a virgin until I get married, like I've said to you guys I'm going to do, it, it's actually like a choice, right? We've got a choice in that. And I'd speak to these young people and I'd say to them, you've actually got a choice about how you treat your body because your body's part of God's creation. And so when you offer that up to someone else, you, you can offer that up pure or you can offer it up unpure. And I just remember like this, these 14-year-old these girls that I was talking to do and they'd be like, oh, you're a virgin. How old are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm 26. And they say, oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. A 14-year-old girl is telling me, because I'm trying to be set apart in this world, that being a virgin is sweet. That's so cute. It's not flipping cute. It's not cute. This is revolutionary. This is what Jesus told. This is the life he's got for me, to be set apart, to be part of the, a set-apart generation, and, and I just used to, but you know what would happen? Every time without foul, and I'm not making this stuff up, guys. The more and more young people I talk to about Jesus, conversations about sex and how they were treating their body always came up, always came up when I'd talk about faith. And do you know what would often happen is these young girls, these young guys would say, do you know what, um, I actually lost my virginity in fact, I can't even remember how. I was so drunk, I can't even remember who it was with and where it was. You know, this, this broke my heart. I remember hearing these kind of stories and I thought, man, Lord, if there's anything you want me to do uh, and, and you want me to be part of inspiring a generation to live a pure life, I, I, I'm up for that. And you know, you'd, I'd, I'd have t conversations with young people. They'd end up crying. They'd end up saying, man, you know, I just, I just feel feel like confused about what I've done and we'd get to pray and spend time together. You know, God's got amazing plans. The thing I love most about God, I loved what Governor B said. I love what he was saying about that, that, that we can be set apart and, and if we can make a difference in the world. But just look at the person next to you for a second. And then the other person. Do you know, okay, that's good, you've done that. The, the beautiful thing is, right, you and the person either side of you is uniquely created by God. They're uniquely created. That means there's no one like you and there's no one like them. Just grab a hold for that. The thing that I love most about God is He's put in every one of you a talent. He's put a gift inside of you. Just turn to the person and say, He's put a gift inside of me. And then when you've heard that, 
turn to the person and say, hey, yeah, he's put a gift inside of you. That's good. Okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. Shh. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you got that. Um, but you know, here's the biggest lie. Here's one of the biggest lies for your generation. And I hear this and I've seen this and I've, I've heard, you know, we heard stories, we heard testimonies about young people who thought they were a mistake here. Some of you, you still think that about you. Do you know what the biggest lie is that you can believe at your age right now? That you're a mistake. That you don't have at least one amazing thing to offer and contribute this world. You see, when I read the Bible, I love it. I love reading the Bible. I love this book. Because it tells me about how my life fits in God's plan since creation till now. And what I love about this book is it's full of stories. And, and it's full of songs. It's full of poems. It's full of history. But the things that I love most about the Bible are the parables. Who loves parables? Do you know parables are like made up stories. Jesus made these stories up to... to get a real serious point across. And the parable that Olivia read so well, I'm just going to spoil it because the, the theologians say that every parable has one particular meaning. Now, do you know the one particular meaning for this parable that was read? Faithfulness. If you're faithful with a little, God will entrust you with a lot. You see, this is about faithfulness. But at this point, you, you've probably heard a little bit about the story. I want to introduce to you the chairs. Last year's it was the stones. This year it's, it's the chairs. And um, th this will make sense more. But this story's ultimately about four people. Four people. A master and three servants. But actually, we can whittle it down to two servants because two of those three did the same thing with the, what they were given. You see, they were given bags of gold or the other versions in the Bible call it talents. You see, talents were basically money in the olden days. That's how they talked about money, talents. But we now talk about talent as in something that you can do with what you've got. You see, there was two types of servants. There was on this side, there was the wicked servant. What the Bible describes as, as the wicked servant. But over here, there was the servant that was faithful. Wicked and faithful. I want to give you a little bit of a feel of what I... I, I sense the wicked's mindset, the wicked servant's mindset would have been. Because he was, these servants were given money. They were given financial blessing to use. They were said, you know, go and do something with it. But the wicked servant sat in his chair like, he gave me one talent. That's not enough. Those guys got more than me. Do you know, like, I look around and people have just got better. Th they're better than me. Than, they got more than me. They're, one thing. What am I going to do with that? But what we understand with the wicked servant is actually the wicked servant's mindset was that what he'd been given wasn't good enough. He couldn't take what he would, was, was given and multiply it. So ultimately, he hid it away. You see, some of you are doing this with your talent. Some of you are doing this with your life. 
you're taking your life and you're saying it's not actually worth living. So I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm just going to follow the crowd. I'm going to be part of the popular culture. I'm just going to do what everyone else is doing. In fact, this kind of mindset is that, that nothing you've got can actually produce anything good. You see, over here, we've got the faithful servant. The faithful servant, granted in the passage, was given a bit more. One was given five, the other was given two. But here's the point. I genuinely believe the faithful servant could have been one and multiplied it to two. Does anyone think that? You know, when you read the Bible, you think about different things. That's what I do. Get in the story, get immersed. But I'm thinking that that, that, that individual was given talents and they thought, do you know what? I'm going to learn as much as I can and how I can use this talent to bless the world. I'm going to multiply what I've been given. I'm going to be teachable. Do you know what's amazing about people who are teachable? You can tell them they've done something wrong and they don't get hung up about it. Anyone teachable in the room? Gosh, people don't think they're teachable. Flip, man. We've got a lot of work tonight. Ministry team, get ready. You're going to have to catch a few people. Um, this is all about faithfulness. And I'm thinking, I'm reading about this person and they're like, I've got gifts and I need to use them. I need to multiply them. You see, what I love about this story is it, is it brings out these two types of servants. You know, the servant over here will say, will, will want to maintain the status quo, where the servant over here will want to be different because they know they're unique and they can be used by God in a unique way. You see, the faithful servant's dynamic. The faithful servant's actually a servant. They, they use what they have to bless others. They're teachable. They want to learn from new experiences. They do something with what God has put in their hands. They're happy to stand out and be different. They make things happen. You know, one of my good friends, a guy called Adam, he used to be my youth pastor when I first came to England. He said, Zeke, there's three types of people in the world. Just put your fingers up, three types of people. Look at three people, say there's three types of people. Now, there's three types of people in this world. This is a good one. This is a good one. Better than some of the things Mike said last night. Um, there's people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who said, what happened? Who are you? You're what happened. You've just admitted that. Oh my goodness. Okay. What happened? See, over here, we've got, we've got what happened. I'm sorry, I was too caught up in my insecurity. I couldn't see the world. I couldn't see what was going on. But over here, we've got make things happen. There's a difference, and I, I think you're getting it. You're getting it tonight, that there's a difference between the way we are with what we've been given. But here's the thing. You've all been given the, a gift. What are you doing with the gift that God's put in your hand? Are you wasting it, or are you making use of it? As of what I've been saying, maybe you can start to get the feeling of where you are in this story. Maybe you're more over this side. Maybe you're more comfortable in this chair than in this chair. But tonight I want to say, hey, let's, let's park our life. Let's get our life sat in this chair so that God can use what, what he's given to us, the gifts that he's put in our lives. 
So here's the thing. Here's the thing. In Ephesians 2, verses 10, it says, You are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means that God already has put something in you. And when you meet Jesus, it becomes alive. And then you begin to do good works. You begin to make a difference in the world. You see, so when I think about this with my life and with my gifts, I think, okay, so it's not just about being gifted. It's about what I do with that gift. It's not just about looking the way I do or speaking the way I speak. It's, It's what I do with what I've been given. So here's some things you can take away from this story. Three things. You need to get a right view of God. Some of you, you don't really have any idea who God really is. You got to get a right view of God. You see, this servant, the wicked servant, what we see in verses 24 and 25 of this story is that the, the person had a warped view of God. They had a proper warped view of God. He said this, I knew that you were a hard man. He's talking about the master, but Jesus is really talking about God, right? The parable's talking about the master being God, people being the servants. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you, do not, where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid the gold in the ground. Huh. I knew you were a hard man. Some of you think God's hard. Some of you think he's angry. Some of you think he wants to suck the fun out of your life and make everything you do at church and anywhere else boring. There was a time in my life where I thought that. I thought God was actually angry with me when I did stuff wrong. But here's the thing, right? God's not angry. He doesn't hate you. He's not fed up with you when you do the same, same thing wrong. He loves you more than you could imagine. Do you know what he hates? He hates your sin. He hates my sin. Because your sin and my sin mars what God truly created you and I to be. You see, this whole, this whole thing... Uh, the, 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 when Oh, no, I won't go there. I'm just, sorry. Because, um, yeah, anyway. Well, that threw me. I was thinking of something. And I thought, no, I'm not going to go there. The thing is with our sin is it mars who God has created us to be. It mars who he, he intended us to be. It takes away the, the focus of, of God's plan and his purpose on our lives. And that's why God sent Jesus. If you think he's angry, you can understand that he's not. Because if he's angry, he would have never sent a way out. You see, Jesus is the ultimate way out. Jesus was known as Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That means Jesus, when he came to earth, he was the exact representation of God. He lived a perfect uh, life and he died a death he never deserved. And on the cross, when you see that empty cross, it's empty because 
when he was crucified, he said, it's finished. Do you know what he said was finished? The power of sin and death over your life. The power of sin and death over your life 2,000 years ago was broken when his body was broken. Do you know I love this about Jesus because I know that he gave up his life for me so that I could go free. And the Bible says I'm a new creation. The old life is gone. The new has come. This is amazing. I love this about God because it expresses his love for me. And it shows me that he didn't just die. He rose again. So one day I will be with him in heaven. And my purpose on earth is to enjoy him right now. That's why when we sing songs, we're not just singing songs. If you think we're singing songs, you've not understood what we're doing. And I don't mean to like make harsh. Some of you, you've just come here. You're like, chill out, Zeke. Flipping act, mate. I've never been to one of these things. I don't know what Christians do. But we, we, we're singing. We're actually engaging our hearts with, the, with God. We're saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. You sent Jesus. You see... The first thing we need to do is we need to get a right view of God. The faithful servant knew he was blessed with what he had been given. Therefore, he made the most of his life and his talent. The second thing, number two, don't let fear hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. My favorite verse in the Bible, it's one of them. I love it so much. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear, I was afraid of you, so I hid the gift. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. You see, some of you, you, you live in life with fear. You know you've been gifted, but you, you're holding back because you're, you're afraid what might just happen if you let loose. You're afraid of might, what, what might just happen if you let loose. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I, I, I like to think of it like this. If my, if my uh, relationship with God is like a fire, yeah? It's like a fire. The gifts that he's given me is like a fire. If I want to stoke that fire, I want to make it bigger. Do you know what the ingredients is to stoke that fire? Someone said, Cole, technically you're right, you are, and more paper and more wood, and what else, a petrol, that will make it flipping massive. But, but what, the, what the spiritually speaking, do you know what the petrol is? It's faith. You mix faith with your gift, it's going to grow. I'll talk about how I mix faith with my gift in a moment. Do you, know, you want to know how you put your gift out? A big bucket of water. And do you know what that water is? It's fear. You see, fear will stunt your, your faith. It will stunt your relationship, your connection with God. See, God has not given this generation a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And man, if you can get hold of this, flipping act, man, the world's our oyster. It means everywhere we go, we carry a message. That's where everywhere we go, we can use our gift to engage others in the kingdom of God. The third thing is use what God has put in your hands. Use what God has put in your hands. You see, whatever you do, it's not just for you. Whatever God's put in you, ultimately, when you connect with Him, you want to give it back. You want to give it back. Some of you say, yeah, but I'm a hairdresser. 
I'm training to be a hairdresser. I'm training to be a pilot. I'm training to be an estate agent. I'm training to be a snooker player. Okay, let's break this down. You're a hairdresser, yeah? Someone comes into your shop. How are you, ma'am? I'm actually assuming you're a woman, but um, you're a hairdresser, guy or girl. Someone comes, all right, bruv, yeah, come down, sit down. How do you want it? Short back and sides, brilliant. Come on, gather around. Or you've come into the salon, how are you, babes? You want your hair done? Nails as well. Um, And you sit down. You know, when you're doing the hair, you're doing it for Jesus. So when they get up and they look in the mirror, their hair's been technically cut by the spirit of the living God. Goodness me, that looks fresh. That looks fresh. So some of you, some of you, you're, you're into like hair and beauty, makeup, nails. So do the job that God has called you to do as if Jesus was doing it through you. That's how you use the gift. You change the world. You see, the best description I can do this is my dad. Now, I love my dad. He's a brilliant father. He lives in Australia. He's currently probably, as we speak, driving a taxi around telling someone about Jesus. And I remember when I was about 16, or probably, yeah, 16, I was just, no, 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 probably 15, 14, 15, maybe 13, I don't know. I was sat in, in the car with my dad. Now, me, I'm going to sit down for this because it's funny like this. Um, I, I sat down with my dad, and me and my dad, he used to drive me around uh, New South Wales in Sydney because he wanted me to be a pro footballer, so he wanted to take me anywhere I needed to go. He was a good dad. But you imagine on those journeys, we used to have a lot of chats. We'd talk about all sorts of things, but often we'd talk about work. What am am I going to do? Well, obviously, I wanted to be a professional footballer, so that was always like my thing. But then I got into the more personal side with my dad. I said, Dad, when we were younger, you were uh, like an estate agent, but now you're a taxi driver. So why did, you, why did you give up a profession that was like really well paid for a profession that's maybe not so well paid? Oh my goodness, that was the wrong thing to say to my dad as he's driving. He goes, no, if any of you know, no, 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 my boy. Oh, my boy, he used to call me, he still does. My boy, no, no. You've missed the point, my boy. You've missed the point. You think this life's about money. It's about doing what you want for the Lord. He said, look, you know, look, my boy, look, when I get in the taxi, you know how it is. People say, how am I doing? Of course I'm doing well because I'm playing Hillsong. See, my dad goes to Hillsong in Sydney. That's what I was brought up on. Darlene Check doing her thing. None of you even know who that is. This is my desire. I can't sing. Um, See, that's not the gift God gave me, singing. So I just shut my mouth, let others do that. But so my dad's saying, yes, see, no, but look, my boy, I'm a taxi driver. So when people get in my cab, it's like Jesus is driving them. It's like Jesus is taking the wheel of their life for a moment. Some of you will get that in a minute. Because it's not actually gone in yet. So whatever you do, your gifts, they actually, you represent Christ when you're doing them. You know, my dad has stories about how he gets sometimes just words for people in the cab. Or he just says, do you know Jesus? I mean, come on, dad. Easy. 
Maybe ask their name, what their shoe size is, get to know them a bit. Do you know Jesus? Well, we've got about a a 15-minute drive left. Can I tell you about him? And my dad just goes on. He just tells people about Jesus day after day after day. You see, he realized that he was in a profession where he couldn't be the best example of Christ. So he changed profession. Didn't matter to him about money. It mattered to him about being a representation of Jesus. I've got a friend who's a filmmaker. He's super passionate. He's so creative. His, his, his production company is called I Can See You. Do you know why he called it that? Because he said there's so many people in this world that don't have a voice. He goes to places like Somalia and Northern Africa where people, just, women, uh, they're, 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 like women just don't have a voice. The poor don't have a voice. So he makes documentary films that give people that don't feel like they have a voice a voice. He's basically getting the camera. And as he films these people, it's like Jesus is taking down their story so that other people in the world can see it. See, that inspires me, man. That inspires me. People who are using the gift they've got, not just to glorify themselves. And look, I've not got anything against celebrities or people who big themselves up. Good for them. But I'd much rather live this life bigging up someone bigger than me, more powerful than me, the creator of the universe than just Zeke. Okay, that didn't get the response I thought it would. Flipping out. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The greatest tragedy is the wicked man... The, the wicked person, they never got a revelation of this. When I was 16 years old, I'd, I encountered Jesus. But up until that, my passion was football. When I first kicked a football at the age of eight, all I wanted to do was be a pro footballer. So I trained day in, day out. That was my life. I never got a job. I, I just played football. And people used to say, you should probably get a job, you know, paper around, something like that. Hey, I'm going to be a pro footballer. Don't worry about it. God's got the bills covered later. Don't worry. Mum, I'll buy you a new house. It's sorted. Don't worry about the dishes. Uh, you, you know, someone else will do them. Um, I, I just go off on these ones. And, and I, I just believe that was my dream. That was my heart. So, so when I was 18, well, when I was 17, I, I caught a heart. I caught the heart of God for my life. I encountered Jesus in a powerful way through a prophetic word that someone who never knew me they spoke over my life. And so I'm just about to like make the biggest, like do the biggest risk with my life. I'm about to leave my family, get on a one-way ticket to England to have a trial for a football club in London, Millwall. Um, anyway, anyway, look, I'm just about to do this. And a month before I go for my trial, I'm like, because I had a relationship with God. And I'm like, God, you need to show me through your word. I mean, I believe that you want me to be a footballer and this is what you want me to do with my life, but you need to show me it through your word. And so I picked up the Bible because I was awake at 2 a.m. And some of you wake up at 2 a.m. 100%, well, 90%, it's often God who wakes you up. Think about that next time you're up. It, It might just be God. He loves to speak to us in still quiet places. And often that's when we're the most quiet. So I, turn, I opened the Bible and I turned to, I turned to um, Genesis 12 and I'm finishing on this story. I opened the Bible to, to Genesis 12 
And this is what it says. You imagine this. I'm just about to get on a plane. This is the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. Going to leave my family. And I'm thinking, is this the right thing to do? And this is what it says. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will, I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, you, the, you and curse those who curse you. Who would have taken that as I'm definitely going to be a pro footballer? Reading that. So that's what I thought. Naturally. I just thought, oh, brilliant. That's confirmation. I'm going to be a footballer. So I get on a plane, go, go over to England. I have my trial. I get to Millwall's training ground in Bromley. And the guy says, how old are you again? And I'm like, oh, I'm, eight, I'm 18. He said, oh, we, we're just getting rid of all the players that are 18 at our club because we've just dropped the age group. We're not playing under 19s anymore. We're going back to 18s or reserve team. So there isn't really a place for you at the club. But have your trial and we'll see what happens. He hadn't even seen me play and that was how it started. Imagine how I felt. Imagine what I was experiencing emotionally. I ended up having the trial. I didn't make it. I came back down to the south of England. And I remember I was sleeping in a caravan at that point because the people I was living with didn't have any room in the, the house. And I'm crying myself to sleep for about a week. I start crying out to God. And I'm like, God, why on earth would you bring me over here if it's not to fulfill the dream you've put in my heart? And so I'm, I'm crying and God just whispers to me, Zeke, my ways are not your ways. Man makes his plan, but the Lord determines his steps. And he just whispers to me, get involved with the youth of your church. I'm 18. I'm like, what? So I start getting involved with the youth. That year, my church is doing a trip to, to Brazil. So I go to Brazil. Brazil's, oh man, amazing country. We st I realize like over there, people are crazy about three things. Dancing, music, and football. Go over there, check it out for yourself. So I'm, I'm, on this, I'm, I'm in this favela, and I start seeing young people. And all they want to do is play football. I'm in my element. I get to play football with them. But then the missionary that was working with them says, guys, sit down. Jesus, Zeke's going to tell you about his story, about how he came to faith. And in that moment while I was sitting with young boys and girls who are basically, they were all prostitutes. They were all like 11 to 18 years old. Some of them only had one pair of shoes. Some of them had ripped tops. They were, they were filthy. And God just said, Zeke, I want you to use your gift. Use football. And so I, I left Brazil. I came back to England. A few weeks later, there was a job like the job that came up at that park I was telling you. And I was able for the next 10 years to go down the park with a football and a Bible in my pocket. And God used football, my gift, the gift that I'd been working on for years, to just reach out to young people. The thing is, guys, God's put gifts in your hands. Some of you aren't using it because you're afraid. And God's been speaking to you, but you've been hiding your gift. Others of you have discounted yourself because people have said words and you've held on to it. And you're not even trying to think about gifts, let alone living. 
God wants to change that tonight. It starts by meeting Jesus. I want to read a final quote from Governor B's book because it's a great book. It's a great way to end. You did a good job, man, wherever you are. It's about his life. It's called Unpopular Culture because what the book is about is basically we all want to be part of popular culture. We want to be on Instagram. We want to be on Snapchat. We want to be trendy. We want to be wearing, wearing the right clothes. We want to be doing this, that. But God actually calls us to now, in this day and age, what we used to think was a Christian nation. He wants to call us to, to be part of the unpopular culture, to go against the crowd. And he, it says this in the book, God doesn't want us to live safe, comfortable lives. Our goal should, our goal should be to die old. Uh, sorry, our goal shouldn't be to die old. It should be to die empty. And then he quotes this at the end of the chapter. When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. Now, I want that for this generation like no one else. I pray for you guys. We pray for you so much at DTI. We pray that these gatherings would inspire this generation to be world changers, to use their gifts. So I want to, I want to, I want us to, to, I want to open this up to a response. And I'm just going to say it straight away, guys. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you want to meet the Creator of the universe, if you want to be in a relationship with a God who knows you so intimately, more than you know yourself, I want to invite you to get up from where you sat and come down and stand here from the front. Uh, this is a big thing. This is a big thing. But I believe there's, there's a couple of you that, that are like, do you know what? I want to make a commitment. But I'm going to ask you to do a very, very brave thing. Come out of your seat and come and stand at the front. 